Come on. Welcome to Money Savage, a savage approach to personal finance. This is George Grumbacher, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, the strong and powerful David Burkus. David, are you ready to do this? Yeah, let's do it. Excellent. Let's do this. David is a best-selling author, sought-after speaker, and associate professor of leadership and innovation at Oral Roberts University. His newest book, Friend of a Friend, offers a unique perspective on how to grow networks and build key connections. I'm excited to have you on. David, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Wow, that's. Uh, let's see if I can answer all with one statement, right? <laughs> so I mean, I am. It's, it's interesting. I'm a writer first, uh, a writer and speaker. That's kind of the entrepreneurial business model. I call myself an accidental professor. The the gist of that is, uh, I when I was married, very young, uh, my wife was in medical school, so I had all this time to kill. So I went back to grad school, and somehow that led to adjuncting courses, which led to a full time position for six years. Uh, but writing and speaking has always been the passion, and the the reason is that I really like taking ideas from the world of social science that are insights for how to live better, how to work better, et cetera, and breaking them down, putting handles on them, turning into tools that people can use. So the big thing I always try and tell people is I'm trying to get good ideas out of the ivory tower and into the corner office or the co-working space or the coffee shop, wherever work gets done. I appreciate that. And with so much information that is at our fingertips these days, I like to say that a lot of the time we are drowning in information and starving for knowledge. So I think you and I are on the same page. Um, well, what was the motivator uh, to, to, to write the new book, Friend of a Friend? Yeah. So, I mean, the big idea there is that I, there's a lot of networking advice out there about giving an elevator pitch and when and how to use business cards and all sorts of stuff. And it, it fundamentally, it has two big problems. The first is that it's advice, which means it's autobiographical. It's, it reflects more about the person giving it than about you and whether or not you can use it. And the second is that networking seems to have somewhere along the line gotten considered to be the thing we do when we're trying to add more contacts. So we go to the weird meetups and like that are speed dating for professionals and everybody feels awkward and yet we still we still go to them for some reason or we think that it's about running up the count on our linkedin contact etc and what we're trying to do is preach a message that the best approach is to understand that you can't grow your network you can't improve your network you don't have a network you exist inside of a network and the best way to leverage that is to understand it better figure out where you are in it and how to get where you want to go and the way you do that is through the tips that have been generated for 50 plus years of network science research got it i i love it i think that i think i've been somewhat guilty of at times in my career over a 17 year career of in one capacity or another client acquisition of trying to just gather too many names um, and sometimes I have a tendency to ignore a lot of the great contacts that I've already had through the years and part of that is probably just because our brains are not wired to be able to keep track of, of large numbers so it probably makes more sense to just go back to the people that I already have a relationship with. 
Yeah, well, you actually you just sold yourself on one of my big points. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, what you're in, in the network science lingo, what you're referring to is kind of uh, making new ties versus going back to your weak or your dormant ties, the people that you know, but you haven't talked to in a while. And, you know, we pursue both with the understanding that if your close contacts, the people you talk to every single day, if they had new information for you, you would know it pretty quickly because they're your close contacts. So new sources of information, sales leads, whatever it is comes from the people that are somewhere else in the network and a lot of us take the approach that that means total strangers but exactly like what you said there's a wealth of people that we already know so building rapport isn't really that much of an issue we've just lost track of and I, what's interesting to me is that humans feel weird reaching back out to those people at the same time, whenever somebody does it to you, like if you and I hadn't talked for two years and then I sent you an email that said, hey, you know, I, I, I haven't know we haven't talked in a while, but I was thinking about you today and I thought I'd just send you a note and see how you're doing. We love to receive that. It's the weirdest quirk of human behavior that we feel awkward sending it. And yet we love knowing that someone else is thinking about us. And so that's really the first thing you can do. The biggest ROI, the low hanging fruit in all of networking is to reach back out to those weak and dormant ties, check back in with them, see how you can help them and if and how they can help you. Yeah, it's an interesting thing, and it's it is exactly how how you just described it. And the reality is that the other party probably feels sort of maybe it's guilty that they've done a poor job keeping in touch, but certainly happy and thrilled to be back in touch. So if we could just get over that, right? No, exactly. I mean, we don't want to like say you haven't talked to me in two <laughs> two years, so I thought I would. No, I mean we we both did it. We're both guilty, but like. Again, and there's a lot of reasons that happen. I mean, you said probably the biggest one, which is we there's kind of a there's some we don't know where the exact number is, but there is an upper limit on how many people we can kind of keep track of. And technology makes it a little bit easier to keep track of even more. But the truth is, it's really easy to let a year or more go by without having a real time conversation with someone. It, and I think social media makes this actually worse because we think that clicking like or putting a quick little comment counts as a real conversation. And it doesn't. And it's really easy to let those relationships fall by the wayside. And, and that creates that feeling of guilt. But the rewards that come from both people just because you sort of swallow that and go after it and just say, hey, we haven't talked in a while. My bad. And I was, I was thinking about you the other day and I thought I'd check in. You can you can really get a lot out of a, a simple little technique like that. Yeah. Well, I had the opportunity to to read a lot of your book before our conversation today, and I'm, I'm grateful that you sent it over. Um, and so I can certainly tell people that we've all had the experience of reading a business book, and there's only one or two ideas in it, and then surrounded by hundreds of pages of not great ideas. But yours has just a ton of really practical ideas and concepts. So if you would, I, I just love the opportunity to have you highlight some of the things that are of, 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 of the greatest interest. Oh, well, thank you. You 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 are too kind. That's exactly what we try and do is put a couple more tips in it. I'm I, I'm I'm guilty of doing the same thing of reading certain books that like this is a really short book. And yet I still feel like it could be shorter. Right. So we, we, we try to make it a little bit more like that. Each each chapter in the book is a different insight from the world of network science and a discovery from the people that study how humans connect and who connects to who. And I think you know, the weak and dormant ties is one that gets a lot of play, but what people don't do is connect it to the idea of how do you actually reach back. And the other one that people are probably a little familiar with might be the six degrees of separation idea, or some people may have played the game six degrees of Kevin Bacon, although spoiler alert, Kevin Bacon is not the center of the Hollywood universe. Uh, the, the real lesson of that, though, isn't that like, hey, look, there's 7.4 billion people on the planet and we're all connected by five 
to six introductions. It's if you start to think sort of exponentially about your the network that you're already in, including your weak and dormant ties, and then how many just millions of people are one or two introductions away from you, you already have within probably one friend of a friend, one degree of separation, you probably already have most of the people that you need in your network to be successful just one degree of separation out. So you don't have to go to these grand meetups, et cetera. You can just start exploring the fringes of your network. And I coach a lot of people to do that with a really simple question, which is who do you know in blank with blank being that industry, that company, that sector that you're even sometimes geography that you're trying to get to understand a little bit better. You're trying to make a transition into that industry. Who do you know in tech or you're trying to get to work for a certain company? Who do you know in Procter and Gamble? And the reason this works is that you're not like LinkedIn stalking someone and then tracing back and trying to find a route and begging for introductions. You're just taking an open posture and exploring of a bunch of different people that you already know that are already connected to you. Who do they know? And when those answers tend to overlap, most people will give you a list of two or three. But when you keep hearing one or two names coming up, no matter how many people you ask, that's a really good sign that that's the person you're supposed to make the connection to. Hmm. I think that that makes a lot of sense. Um, Interesting. Well, if it's not Kevin Bacon, then who is it? <laughs> it's it's actually uh, if you it's a guy named Rod Steger, and if you've never heard of him, it's okay. And he is now deceased. the The thing, the, the reason I bring that up is that Kevin is sort of a fluke of history that these three probably inebriated, but we can't prove it. College students hmm. were just sort of fascinated with how they could connect everyone through Kevin Bacon. But the truth is you can do it through almost anyone in the Hollywood network. And if you were to actually rank people by the sheer number of other actors and actresses that have appeared in films with them, Kevin Bacon is the 669th, which is to me, it's to me, it's actually really good news. As I like to say it, it means that you don't have to have a network like Kevin Bacon to be the Kevin Bacon of the network that you're already operating in. Right. You got to figure out where to put the quotes, which Kevin Bacon gets the quotes around it. But, you know, there you go. So I really like what you were talking about um, because LinkedIn is such a unique tool that will allow you the ability to sort of back into an individual at an organization or whoever you're trying to get in front of. But I also see where that is construed a lot of the time as stalking and maybe trying a little bit too hard, whereas the psychology behind, hey, who do you know at Procter & Gamble? Um, and then just give people an opportunity to, to, to help you. That's, I found that to be interesting. Yeah. I mean, every, every introduction, every time you're asking someone to introduce you to somebody, it's actually an endorsement. I don't, I don't think we think about it that way, that Mm -hmm. if, if I'm asking you to introduce me to one of your contacts, I am also asking you to endorse me. And so you create this moment of like, oh, I don't really know if I want to you know, take my clout and weigh it on this type of person. But when you ask someone, who do you know in blank, you're, you're going to get a list of people and pretty much everyone on that list would be people that they would already feel comfortable with. So it's a much more natural follow up to be to then go, oh, you know what, would you be willing to connect us? Or even better, if you don't even say, would you be willing to connect us? You say something like, you know, would you be willing to check and see if such and such would be willing to get together and talk? Right. So you're already sort of promoting this double opt-in idea. Don't blindsight this person with an introduction to me, but would you be willing to go ask if they would be willing to meet with me? That's kind of lowers, makes this, the call to action much lower, which makes the number of times people take you up on it much higher. Got it. 
That's interesting. I think uh, that's a simple shift, but probably, I would imagine, because you're referring to this as network science, as something which has been tested. Yeah, and I mean, little little shifts make all of the difference. Recognizing that that dynamic, like I said, is is not just that these people are connected and therefore you can leverage it, but that there is that the fancy uh, social the whole fancy network science term is social capital, which is the value that's in a network. To recognize that sort of connecting you two will either deplete that person's social capital with the one you're trying to get introduced to or increase it depending on who you are. Recognizing that means that you are you understand what's at stakes. And if you only use it when you know that there's going to be a benefit, you're going to have a much uh, higher proportion of getting the introductions you want and to the right people. Nice. Well, I'd love to hear a little bit about this idea of building teams from all over your network. Yeah, so this is a really interesting insight that we found in um, in the literature, and I think it applies whether you're thinking about organizations or you're thinking about just you yourself. And what what happens is we tend to kind of cluster off. We tend to have our people that we trust, the sort of band of brothers, right? Or I, I actually still need to think of some way to phrase that with sisters, um, <laughs> silo of sisters, I guess. Although that doesn't sound now that that nice. But silo is actually a good term for what tends to happen. We can be so clustered off because we know and trust these people. But what happens is that if everybody is close connected and they're all reading the same things, consuming the same information, they're all solving the same problems together, eventually they all think alike. In fact, the term that is used in the science is redundancy, which I think is a really good way to think about it. Mm -hmm. And so what we find is that it's the teams that actually kind of have a constant refreshing of new people, the people and the teams that are together for about 18 months or so, and then they disperse and go work on a new project and a couple of people go to the next project, but then a couple of new people come in. Um, those tend to be the people that have the most success over the long term. And in the book, we look at what's known in the tech industry as the, the PayPal mafia, this group of people, depending on how you want to count between 20 and 200 people who used to work at PayPal before it was acquired. And then because of the differences in cultures, all fled within the first year of acquisition. And it's people like Elon Musk and Peter Thiel and Reid Hoffman and all of these people that have either invested in, founded, advised, sat on the boards of, et cetera, most of the influential companies in tech. What I think is interesting is you trace them. They don't they don't all go together and just work with this five people that used to work together at PayPal that go from problem to problem. It's that they're constantly jumping into a project, meeting new people along the way, then create contributing what they can and then jumping back off and letting new people come in. And that's the way long term that social capital is created for the whole industry, but also then spills over to the individuals who are involved in the projects. Got it. That's interesting. I've You named off some really successful people, obviously, that were involved with PayPal, and, and I can certainly think of a couple of more, but 150 to 200 people. All right, well, so how, how would I go about building teams from, from my network? Yeah, so I think the lesson here for the individual is to kind of audit who you're interacting with. Who are the people that you're always going back through? So go back through meetings and call logs and emails and see, am, am I trusting? It's, it's much more of a check and audit moment than a here's how to do it. But just see, am I trusting the same you know, do, half a dozen or dozen people? Or am I already kind of, oh, on this project, I have this group of people. And on this one, I have a different group of people. Ideally, it's sort of like the difference between a mentor and a board of advisors, right? Am I trusting the same two or three people with all of my problems? Or am I thinking, okay, 
based on their expertise and how well I know them, et cetera, am I putting together a team of people for that one problem? And then it's a different team for a different problem. One path, I mean, we know it from the literature is far more successful and that's to not trust the same two or three people every time. So I think it starts with audit it and see what you're doing and then make changes as you see the need for it. Yeah, I think that that would be a great benefit for me because I do, I I suppose I'd refer to myself in a lot of ways as a visual kind of a learner. So when I do audit everything and sort of try to put groups together, um, that would probably help out a lot. So, well, and how about uh, talking about hobbies instead of work? So this is an, so to go back to those networking events, I think this is a really interesting one that what's, I mean, the most, uh, at least in North America, if not the entire world, one of the most common questions when you meet someone for the first time, I mean, if I just put you on the spot and asked you, what do you think it is? What do you do? Exactly. What do you do? Right. Um, I'm even guilty of this. I ran a podcast for eight years when the opening question was, so who are you and what do you do? <laughs> the, the, the reason this is a, a less effective question is, I mean, well, so first of all, there's the human element. If Gallup's data is right and only 18 percent of people are highly engaged in their job, then more than 80 percent of people don't really want to answer that question anyway. They'd rather talk about something else from their right. life that's right. engaging. But statistically, there's a there's a, um, a principle in network science called multiplexity. It's a really fancy SAT word. Um, so if you ever see it on that, just just decide it's the right answer. It probably <laughs> is. Um, and what it refers to is the number of contexts for connection you have with somebody. So if you just know someone through work, like you you see each other, maybe when there's cake in the break room or something like that, but you you don't know anything about out them except for work, that's a uniplex tie. And if you see someone at work and your kids go to the same school and you both play in the same like softball league, that's a multiplex tie. There's multiple different contexts for connection. <laughs> and the research is really clear. We build a deeper relationship faster with someone, make a, a, a stronger bond and become more useful to them and then more useful to us when we build multiplex relationships. So where I or I turn this into is asking questions about hobbies, et cetera. Don't ask people, what do you do? Because the likelihood, the statistical likelihood that you'll both connect over work is very small because it's only one of multiple facets of who that person is. So ask a lot of different questions. Humans are multifaceted, so be multifascinated in them. And it's more likely that you'll find that initial thing to connect and then the things that can build a multiplex tie. I don't know what's better, multiplex or multifascinated. Those are both really good. <laughs> well, multifascinated, I made up. Okay, um, nice. I wish I would have thought of it while I was writing the book. I actually didn't think of it until like two weeks ago. But I like it too. That's so cool. awesome. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, nice, 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 nice. Well, David, Savage Nation is ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them, sir? So my difference making tip comes from that theory of social capital. There is a, a wealth that's generated because people are connected to other people. And while most of us then think, how can I extract value out of that network, out of who I know and out of those connections? The people that actually thrive are the people that focus on the whole network around them and say, how can I contribute value, invest it into the network around me, take care of that and trust that it'll take care of me. So don't think about how you can have your network help you. Think about how you can serve the network. And in the long term, it's going to go way better for you. I love it. I think that that is great stuff that definitely gets a come on. Come on. So thank you for that. And David, thank you for coming on. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you? Where can they, where can they get a copy of your book? 
So the the absolute best place is probably the show notes for this episode because he wants you to go there anyway. He's just tired <laughs> of asking, right? And I know we'll link there to like davidburkus.com, B-U-R-K-U-S.com. From there, we've got resources about the book and links to where you can buy it at your favorite retailer. But if you're only going to one place, like double tap the little logo on your podcast player, go read the show notes. We're there. We're already there. So connect with us. Keep the conversation going. Excellent. And also, uh, I believe, David, you have a TED Talk that has like millions of views. So, 1.8, 1, 1. but who's counting? 1.8, but who is <laughs> counting? So I'll, I will also link to that. And I checked that out, and that was awesome as well. So, oh, well, thank Sav- you. Yeah, you're welcome. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show David your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Again, get a copy of his book because it is great stuff. Check out his TED Talk. Um, thank you again, David. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we're all in this together. What's up, Savage Nation? Please support the show by subscribing. Leave us a review. And definitely feel free to share us with somebody you think would like it. Come on!